0: Come to understand who Jesus really is as you join us for Abounding Grace. Every single false belief system, every single humanistic philosophy, every single false Bible teaching, every false Bible teacher, every single false cult out there and false religion and even false pseudo-Christian cult makes the same exact mistake. You can go anywhere on the planet in any language, any belief system that is in error makes the same mistake. You know what it is? They don't get Jesus right. And it's important for us to come back. Because once you know and understand who Jesus is, it will help clarify many of the questions that surround him.
1: This is amazing grace. Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our Bible teacher and in a moment we'll join him in John chapter 1. A big reason John wrote this gospel is he wants us to experience a relationship with Jesus and know who he is. Many have arrived at such different conclusions about Jesus and what it takes to be right with God. And so a study like this will prove to be very helpful and timely. Here's Ed with part two of Jesus, the Eternal One.
0: Be careful that the things that you and I do in the name of Jesus doesn't get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. So vital, church. And it's just the little things that can trip us up. And yet at the same time, in Jesus' day, religion was king. They had moved, they had transitioned this relationship with God into something that was impersonal. And not growing. And religion is all about man wanting to bring God down to our level. And religion is not what Christianity is all about. It's not. Jesus did not come to proclaim a new religion. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. He came to set you free. To free you up to live a life clean. Free of all the hindrances that would tear you down and you could be right with your God, not only now but for all of eternity, to give you a hope, to forgive you of your sins, to empower you and fill you with the Holy Spirit, to send the Holy Spirit upon you so you might be used in a great way. Not religion. Not religion. You lose out when you settle for religion. We don't come to God through elaborate codes, of, elaborate codes, and elaborate rituals, and elaborate rules, and special priests and a special way. And we come to Jesus directly by faith. By faith, relationship always begins vertically. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus would tell us, and He will. We'll learn that we're to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind. That's a vertical relationship with God. That's where it starts. For example, in some of the relationships in your life right now that might be strained, maybe friendships that are strained or family situations that are strained or someone at work or a friend, you know, just strain relationships. The steps to resolve the conflict do not begin horizontally. They begin vertically. They begin with you and your personal relationship with God. Are you loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind? That's where it starts. We often make the mistake of going out horizontally and trying to solve everything and run. And it's not going to work unless you're right with the Lord, personally. So that when you're loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind vertically, that empowers you and I to then work on our relationships horizontally waiting for God. See, once we're right with him, then we need to learn how to wait on God for him to work things out of things that we have no control over. Learning how to wait on him, to trust him that he will bring it to pass. And all the while while we're waiting, we're right with the Lord. We we are at peace with God. Our hearts are clean before him. There's no root of bitterness. No stumbling block. Why? Because we've worked vertically. We've sought the Lord vertically. And he's helping us in our horizontal relationship. See, relationship is different than religion because God initiates relationship. The Bible says that he, we love him. But why? Because he first loved us. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he acted and sent his son to rescue us. So relationship was initiated by God. It's freedom from sin and condemnation. It's freedom to have and enjoy a life to be used mightily by God. And I invite you into this relationship. I invite you back into this relationship so that you're not stumbled by religion and religious expression. And you have the fullness of what God has promised you. The fullness of what is yours. That doesn't come from a church It doesn't come from a pastor. It doesn't come from a priest or a religion. It doesn't come from a movement. Your relationship and the vibrancy of life comes from God himself. The resurrected Jesus Christ, the power that was in him, is available to you by relationship. And that's what we seek. We don't seek religion. Now, turn over to John chapter 1 with that in mind. Before we jump into the very basic introduction to Jesus, I want to introduce you to three other groups of people, really four, but we're going to combine. Because we're going to know and we're going to see these people throughout our study in the Gospel of John and as we cross reference with other passages of Scripture, that I want to introduce you to them so that you know who they are and you'll know who they are ahead of time. These were those that were always an enemy of the work of God, this fresh work of God. There are three groups. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. And we'll combine the scribes also with a group known as the lawyers. Don't think of lawyers or attorneys as you do today. Think of them more um, as scribal, where they're very meticulously, they're not arguing cases as much as they're very married meticulously, um, standing for the righteousness of God's word. So when you think of that word, think of scribes and lawyers together. Now a scribe, Was someone? So let's start with the scribes. A scribe was someone who was very, very diligent in retaining and preserving the word of God. And as they would copy it, and as they would write down things and interpret it, they would want to be very, very careful. So the scribes, you'll find, were very threatened by the ministry of Jesus. They were very threatened by this man who said, who was emphasizing relationship over religion. The Pharisees... The Pharisees would be considered today a very conservative group of men who love the Word of God. And, and then with that description, I think we all would want to be in that category. Conservative in our... We're not adding to the Word of God. We're allowing it to speak. That's how the Pharisees were. They started out so well as they were gathering together and said, Look, we want to preserve the Word of God. We want to be careful with it. We want to be careful with the interpretation and with the instruction. And that's how they started, unfortunately... Their conservative view of the word also led them to become very legalistic. And instead of just allowing the word to speak for itself where they started, they added a bunch of rules and regulations to the word of God. Very meticulous. uh, How you could wash your hands and how you should wash your hands. And so much so that Jesus came and rebuked them. And we'll see. He rebuked them in Matthew's gospel. And he told them that you guys need to stop teaching um, as God's word the doctrines of man. And that's what they became. They started out well, but they were an enemy of Jesus. They didn't like relationship over religion. The third group of people that you're going to find are known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees. And you can look them up for the spelling later, Sadducees. This would be more of a liberal group of people. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, which is commonly known today as the Torah. They only believed that that was the inspired book and that's what they followed. And they also did not believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in the miracle that God could do miracles. And the, the thing that they most were against is they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why we don't find them in the Gospel of John, but they were great enemies of the church in the book of Acts. But they were around during the time of Jesus. And they were around. When you see the phrase religious rulers, many times they're all grouped together because they were always together. So the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They had no hope of heaven. They kind of lived their life with the philosophy of, hey, let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, and if we die, there's nothing after that. And now you can understand how they got their name. They were sad, you see. (laughs) Best response of all services. Thank you very much. (laughs) The other people wanted to throw things at me, but you're, you give me any kind of laugh, I'll keep it up. The Sadducees, that's how you remember them, they know supernatural. And so we'll be seeing them in our journey over time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You see, after the temple was destroyed, and this all goes together, you see the entirety of the scriptures. It's awesome. We've just finished studying Ezra and Nehemiah, and we were studying what? Them coming back after Babylonian captivity to do what? Rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. After the temple was destroyed and the Jews were taken to Babylon, they had no place to sacrifice. They had no place to gather. They didn't build a temple in Babylon. So something was developed during that time in Babylonian captivity to continue on the study of God's word, even if they couldn't do the sacrifices. You know what it was called? The synagogue. And as the synagogue was a place of gathering so that you could learn and grow... Out of the life of the synagogue, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes began to grow. Now the scribes actually go back to Ezra's time, and now we find them all the way into the New Testament. And we'll look at them when they come up. Um, you find the Pharisees, and by the way, for those of you taking notes, in chapter 1, verse 24, that's the first mention. And then the scribes are mentioned as a group in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 3. Um, we meet the Sadducees in other Gospels and in the book of acts and we'll see them as we go on so who is john writing about john chapter one verse one in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is going to what we're going to be covering over the next week or so and as you see this Jesus is being introduced to us as this word. Do you guys see that three times in verse 1? The word it's the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S. If you like to write in your Bibles, it's the Greek word. Some people say logos, some people say logos, either way. It's the Greek word logos. He's being introduced to a very calm. See, this is so cool about the Bible. It's so cool about God. God will take the word of God and he won't change the word of God, but he'll make it extremely relevant to the audience. For example, if I was to teach this same Bible study to sixth graders downstairs, the Sadducee joke won't do it. They won't do it. I'm going to have to spend some time studying what sixth graders are, what kindergartners are into, what, what, whatever they're into. And I'm going to have to figure out a way to connect the Word of God with what they're into. So, they, so, I, can keep their, so I can keep their attention. I probably wouldn't use uh, this Bible. I'd probably take a Bible with pictures in it. So, not many sixth graders, but the kindergartners, I would, and, and I would be able to kind of engage them. That's what John's doing right here. He, he's not watering down the message at all, but he is being very relevant to his audience. Because his audience are primarily two groups of people Jews and those with a Greek mindset. Now, most of the Jews are living in Greek culture, but Jew, a Jewish audience and a non Jewish audience, the Greeks. For the Jews, they often referred to, this was a very common phrase for them, they often referred to God as the Word. That, that was very common for them. This is like, what, what, what's happening here is John saying, you know Jews, you know those of you that, that follow Jehovah, you know those of you that are waiting for your Messiah, the Word has come. This is who He is. He was in the beginning. He not only was with God, but He is God, Messiah. The Greeks now had a philosopher, and I should have written it down. Maybe I'll add it in another Bible study. There was a philosopher in Greek culture who developed a whole system of thought around the Logos. It was a philosophy. It was a way of living life. The Logos was, was the sum of all reason and life. It was built upon the assumption that the Logos, the word, was the foundation of everything on the earth. So what John is saying in the very beginning, and by the way... By the way, when it says "In the beginning was the Word," does that remind you of any book of the Bible? For a Jewish mind, it takes you all the way back to Genesis, doesn't it? In the beginning, Genesis one one. In the beginning, God. And now he's saying, "In the beginning, Word." Amazing. He's taken us all the way back to timeless eternity. I love this. He's taking the powerful Word of God. He's not watering it down, but he's being very relevant and culturally sensitive. To grab attention and say, if you've come from a Greek background and you follow a philosophical life, I want you to know, I want to introduce you to the word. And if you're a Jewish person and you're waiting for your Messiah, I want to introduce you to the word. He's God in human flesh. All the way back from timeless eternity. You know, the other gospel writers, they they tell us about, um, other gospel writers tell us about the birth of Jesus, but John goes way back before to his timeless eternal Existence, And in the coming weeks, not only will we finish these verses, but I'll also spend a week and we will just look at what the Bible has to say about the deity of Jesus Christ. That is so important for you to understand. The deity of Jesus Christ. You go, I don't even know what deity means. Let me explain it to you. It's very, very important that you understand who Jesus is, who he says he is, and who the Bible says he is. And the sum total of that is that the Bible says Jesus is God. So that word deity refers to God. When you hear the phrase deity of Jesus, we're saying this in a different way. That's kind of like the Bible way of saying it. But for us, when we say the deity of Jesus, we're saying that Jesus is God. And I'm going to lay out for you in a whole Bible study all throughout the scriptures of the evidence that Jesus is God. You want to know why it's so important? Because every single false belief system, every single, single humanistic philosophy... Every single false Bible teaching, every false Bible teacher, every single false cult out there, and false religion, and even false pseudo-Christian cult makes the same exact mistake. You can go anywhere on the planet, in any language, any belief system that is in error makes the same mistake. You know what it is? They don't get Jesus right. And it's important for us to come back because once you know and understand who Jesus is, it will help clarify many of the questions that surround him. Why he did what he did, why he said what he said. For example, two of the most popular false cults that are very popular even in our neighborhood and probably knocked at your door this week or last, miss it completely on Jesus Christ. I don't need to read their books. I don't need to know what their leader invented in the 1800s. Just tell me about Jesus. That's all. Just tell me what you believe about Jesus. And if you've ever met a Mormon at your door or in the marketplace, they will tell you, eventually, if you get it out of them, that's not something they just kind of, hey, hello, I want to introduce you to Jesus, the brother of the devil. They never, anybody ever meet a Mormon that started out like that? No way. It takes time to find out that their true belief of Jesus is they believe that he's Lucifer's brother. You know what my Bible says? My Bible says that Jesus created the angels, and he doesn't have a brother named Lucifer. There's not in some cosmic, you know, you got to be careful because all the other things sound so good, but if they're off at of Jesus, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You want to have Jesus right. Jehovah Witnesses will also come to your door with a Bible. They'll even pull it out and, and they'll show you in their translation. They'll say in John 1 1 that they'll read it with you. You can read it and they'll they'll say, Look at look at what our Bible says, because your Bible is 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 not accurate and it wasn't translated and so they'll bring theirs out. Which, by the way, scholar after scholar after scholar, thousands of bound scholars, if a scholar, if you're having a baby right now and your baby's going to become a scholar, they're going to come to the same conclusion in 20 years that the translation of the Jehovah Witnesses is absolutely inaccurate to the original language. And so the translation we have, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In their translation, they'll point, they've added a word, and it says their translation says the Word was a God, little g. And it's just like they believe, the Jehovah Witnesses will tell you if you dig it out of them, that they believe Jesus was the brother of Michael the archangel. Or that they believe that Jesus was Michael the archangel, not the brother of, that Jesus was Michael the archangel. And my Bible says that Jesus created Michael the archangel. And Michael the archangel bows down to Jesus. He is not Jesus. And so you got to be careful. That's why we're going to walk through And we're going to find out when it comes to verse 4. In him, the true Jesus was zoe. That's the Greek word, Z-O-E. That's the abundance of life. True, real life is in Jesus. And so we find the logos here. Jesus, the reason for everything in life. He's not a philosophy. He's not a religion. He's a person who wants a relationship With you. He's the Logos. And he was in the beginning with God. And notice in verse three, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness couldn't hold it in, couldn't extinguish it, couldn't comprehend it, are all valid translations of that Greek word. And so we'll get into this a little bit more. But for now, the Holy Spirit would just have us to contemplate everything you've been looking for is the Word. Everything you've been searching for in life is found in the Logos. Not only was he in the beginning, but he's also here now. He's died and risen again, and Jesus is alive. He's not in the tomb. He rose again and has changed radically life after life after life. And I invite you into that same relationship. I don't invite you to a religion. I don't invite you to join a church. I don't invite you to follow me. I invite you to follow Jesus, to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. And he will fulfill all your life's desires. If not in this world, definitely in eternity. He'll be hope to you. He'll be comfort to you. The Bible speaks of him as a healer and a helper and a strength in times of weakness. He'll bring hope when there's hopelessness and help when there's helplessness. He'll bring power when there's weakness. But more than anything, he'll bring forgiveness of sin. And none of us can forgive our own sins. I was talking to a person not too long ago that it's hard for him to accept that Jesus has forgiven him because he isn't able to forgive himself. And I want you to know when you accept the forgiveness of Jesus, Jesus begins to show you that that's all that matters that he forgives you and removes the guilt and condemnation. And the only way that guilt and condemnation comes back is from us looking backwards over our shoulders. Because there's not a person within the sound of my voice that doesn't have a regret or two. You know, we used to say it this way, you know, if I knew then, what I know now. It's true, isn't it? That's just not, that's not like an old person saying, that's real. I remember my parents used to say that. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, guess what? I'm my parents now.
1: (laughs) Hey. Hey, thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is in the early stages of a study in John's gospel, and today's message was all about Jesus, the Eternal One. Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. Pastor Ed, your pick of the month is a wonderful book by Bill Gem. Please tell our listeners a little about it, if you would.
0: You know, Larry, we have a great book of the month this month by a good friend of mine, Pastor Bill Gem, of Grace Church in Amarillo, Texas. What a special, beautiful man of God Pastor Bill is, and I'm so grateful that God brought him into my life. He is a very good friend of mine. Uh, we get to serve together, and I, I trust him. He's a good man, and he wrote a book. Uh, chronicling the life of Elijah, as well as his own personal experience of discouragement and depression. And he weaves it together. In It's a real small book, but it's a super encouraging book, as you see God's faithfulness through the life of Elijah in the inspired scriptures, and also see God's faithfulness through the life of Pastor Bill, as he shares some direct personal issues, some direct personal experiences with discouragement and depression that he went through, that God delivered him from and delivered him through. So please pick it up. You know, you could pick it up here. You can order it directly from them. I'm sure on wherever you get books, it's available. Um, But if you get it through the ministry here, it helps to support us. But please get it. And maybe you get a couple copies so you can help someone else uh, and give it away as a gift and encourage people uh, that God is faithful and he'll help you
1: even in the darkest of times. That's Struggling Under the Broom Tree by Bill Gem. It's yours for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Please remember, it's your financial support that allows us to be on this station and others as well. Call 877-30-GRACE or order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is listener-supported, and each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's work and responsibly used. You'll be helping people across the nation grow in their relationship with the Lord, and in some cases, come to faith in Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Next time on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will be talking about Jesus, the Creator, life and light. So come back after the weekend when we'll continue our study of John. This is amazing grace.